everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Outdoor PM School podcast, where we explore product management careers in the outdoor industry. We talk with PMs from top outdoor industry brands and ask them about their career path, what it's really like to be a PM, and any advice they would give others aspiring to follow the same path. My name is Dawson Westensko, and I'll be your host. During this episode, I talk with Rob Partridge. Rob is a Kiwi by birth and studied product design in New Zealand. After graduating from university, he moved to Scotland to climb and find a job in the outdoor industry. Rob started his career at Van Gogh and later moved to DNN, a leading climbing and height safety brand. This episode is brought to you by OutdoorPMSchool.com, an eight-week online course designed for aspiring outdoor industry product managers. Check out OutdoorPMSchool.com to learn more about who we are and how we can help. Hi, Rob. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Good to have you here. I'm excited to talk with you today. Um, So maybe to start, we could just go through your background a little bit, how you got into the outdoor industry and specifically uh, what led you into product management. And and I guess before we jump into that first question, I should, uh, by way of a little bit of introduction, we're talking from, I'm I'm in the U.S. in Bozeman and you're currently in New Zealand. That's right. I'm in Dunedin, New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. So one of those lucky few who are who are in New Zealand at the moment. It's a beautiful country. So maybe you can tell us about your background into the industry and, and product. Sure, yeah. Well, um, thanks for having me on, Dawson, by the way. Um, my background is I studied uh, product design at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin. And I guess I'd always had uh, a design, interest in design. And the two lecturers that um, I spent a lot of time with throughout my course were X Map Pack and um, or X Outdoor Brands in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of experience in that world. Really psyched on textile development and sewing machines, and I kind of just picked up on that. Uh, my mum always said that I had a bit of a thing for bags growing up, which kind of sounded weird as a sixteen-year-old, <laughs> you know, guy boy <laughs> finding a place in the world. But um, right. that seemed to be, you know, spot on. And uh, and and, and Pack for well. people. For people that aren't familiar with it, they're a retailer in New Zealand, one of the biggest outdoor retailers that does a lot of their own apparel, bags, tents, backpacks, kind of the full assortment, sort of, you know, and pretty, yeah. pretty nice, pretty good product, right? You'd, you'd say. It's yeah, interesting that you first described them as a retailer now because I think you're you're right. That's the model they follow now. But um, ten years ago, was uh they they weren't a retailer they were they were a brand and they were a very premium brand um they made all their packs in new zealand uh not you know probably before 10 years ago now and certainly in new zealand they were considered the alpine the top alpine brand for mm-hmm. um alpinism in new zealand and the greater ranges mm-hmm. um they have spread out their appeal now they are um they have their own sort of vertical integration with their own retailers mm-hmm. and um, they have a lot of high street products now as well. Right. So there's, they haven't quite got the focus they had. Um, but yeah, I still find myself in there picking up a few good pieces of kit every now and then. So similar to the North Face, maybe in the US. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've still got a you know some high end product that does a good job in uh, in the Alpine, for example. But um, you know, probably the more of more of the business coming from high street. Than, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, like I said, that was in New Zealand, um, and 
the kind of irony is that after three years of studying to be a product designer, I realized that I'd um, qualified for a desk job, which isn't quite <laughs> what I had in mind when I signed up. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do a desk job, then uh, I'm going to change country and mix it up a little bit. And um, my mum uh, is from the UK, from Scotland, and she was living back there while I was in, uh, in, in Polytech in New Zealand. And I jumped on a flight and went back to the UK and uh, hunted around Scotland for five or six months trying to find a job that uh, appealed or and it wasn't necessarily an outdoor job I was looking for um, I think in first year of my design school all I wanted to be was a product designer for Matpack as I mm -hmm. described I thought it, it was the brand of, um, back then and um, my lecturers said to me hey you know it's a great industry but don't be too focused on it. There's lots of good industries to work in as a product designer. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I got to Scotland, I had a pretty cool lifestyle for, um, like I said, five or six months, I think, of traveling around Scotland uh, on an old bike that I'd bought or on the train, uh, rock climbing in lots of different places and applying for jobs and um, basically just cold calling on design offices, design consultancies and um, mm -hmm. introducing myself and seeing if there was anything going um, I was categorically turned down by every outdoor retailer in Scotland, <laughs> uh, which was quite funny. And um, I literally got to the stage where I picked up the yellow phone book. I don't know if that's what you call it, uh, mm -hmm. mistakes. Um, I started at A and I went through uh, looking for a company that I thought might be able to employ a product designer. And uh, the first company, or not the first company, but the first uh, that I found, but the first company that um, – offered me a job uh, was an outdoor brand uh, based in Glasgow called Vango. Uh, and I'd actually been um, sleeping on the, the pads of a, uh, a climbing gym, doing a little bit of um, wall building and sort of product design for them. Um, when Vango called back and said I had an interview and I sort of jumped on the train, went down to Glasgow from the highlands of Scotland and um, yeah, that was my sort of um, first job and an opportunity uh, to move into the outdoor industry uh, proper, I guess. And, and Van Gogh is, you know, sort of car camping tents, kind of family camping. Is that more or less? Um, it, it, there is a huge portion of, of uh, Van Gogh's business in that, in that market, absolutely. But um, equally, there's a big market in uh, backpacking or um, – What's known in the UK is Duke of Edinburgh Award, which is a kind of a, a three-stage um, outdoor program that you go mm -hmm. through at high school to achieve your bronze, silver, and gold awards. And you have to do different outdoor activities, including um, two- or three-day trips, for example. And Like, you know, like, uh, like Cub Scouts or, or Boy Scouts? And yeah, that. exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, a partnership that was formed um, at a later stage with the Scouts as well. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Van Gogh provides a lot of equipment, you know, kind of well-priced equipment for mums and dads to send their kids off to do outdoor education <laughs> with high schools. And at various stages, um, Van Gogh also had a, a premium um, brand within their portfolio called Force 10. And um, the Van Gogh Force 10 tent was actually the first product that Van Gogh ever did, and that was the uh, iconic orange canvas uh, triangular tent that mm -hmm. 
the kind of um, first explorers of the greater ranges, certainly the first British explorers of the greater ranges were all equipped with this uh, orange triangular canvas tent. And, and um, that seems to have stuck as a, a bit of an icon for the outdoor industry mm. in my mind, certainly. Yeah. And, um, and Force 10, yeah, has, they, they, they sort of um, developed the Force 10 brand and, um, I joined as an assistant product manager, um, working on family tents and, um, because I was a climber and, um, climb, a bit of alpine climbing as well at that point, they, um, were pretty excited to, let, to see what I could do with the Force 10 brand. Mm-hmm. And, um, I worked closely with another guy called Rob, who is uh, the marketing manager and we pulled together, um, a bit of a rebirth of the brand with, uh, new product range, new tents, updates, and a really good marketing push with, um, you know, good workbook collateral, for example, and trying to um, rebuild some of our relationships with the mm-hmm. uh, independent retailers in the UK, for example. And, and, and your background, as you mentioned, was in product design is what you had originally done in school. And so you did this product management thing. Was it, uh, did that include product design at the time? Did you sort of design, develop and do the business side or, or did you work with other designers at that point and you sort of gravitated towards the business side? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it felt very natural. I didn't really feel like I was moving away from product design, accepting uh, a role in product management. Um, and I guess that's because uh, we were allowed to outsource any component of, of, of the role that we didn't, we weren't able to do as product managers. And so at times that would mean getting um, illustrators or graphic designers to do wacky visuals for tents or backpacks, for example. Um, and other product managers that didn't have a design background would um, would certainly outsource some of the more creative or you know, technical problem solving. But I guess I had that training already and I was pretty excited to, to get involved and, and, and do as much of that as I could. Um, you know, there was a limitation to how deep you could go with that design process. Um, it was very much a product management team and we had a large SKU count, um, i.e. a large range of products that we were updating and releasing every year. And um, you couldn't design 150 backpacks in a year, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. So you, you might be able to go deep on one or two, uh, one new style and a couple of sizes, a couple of different colors maybe. But even then you relied really heavily on the technical team at the factory in the Far mm-hmm. East to do an awful lot of the, the actual hard yards on on the development work, um, let's say. Right. So I would do, I would do um, the design I would often sew a couple of prototypes in, on, in my bedroom um, outside of working hours, um, <laughs> trying to get the pattern right on some lids, for example, because pattern making, um, I, I wasn't good at it, but I had got a gist of it from my, my training, my, my course at Polytech, and I was keen to be as much of a designer as I could be in it. Mm-hmm. And what was a product management team, and then yeah, I guess um, you know how to, the, the drift into the business side. It was a, a very com- well commercially run business, and I guess I was held to a larger account um, as to the commercial aspect of the product range, rather than necessarily the 
um, utter refinement of the product range. Mm-hmm. And so that was very much drawn out of me in that right. role. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I think when you start working in product, you learn pretty quickly that there's this triad, there's this triangle of product creation. That's really the product management sort of strategy business side. You have the development operation, right? Which you were saying in this role, it was that kind of went to the factory, uh, which definitely you see pretty regularly. And then you also have this product design side. And sometimes that's three people. Sometimes that's one person, uh, doing all those different parts of, of the process. And so it's, it's always interesting to see how different companies manage it and, and how that kind of changes and evolves and is different for different product management roles. Yeah, exactly. I, I, um, I can see the benefit to having a broader team, having a designer, a developer and a product manager. Um, but what I, what I have grown to not like is the siloing that can happen in those, in, in some of those scenarios where mm-hmm. a designer is purely a designer and yeah, almost alienate themselves or be alienated from the users or the market if they're if they're just a, a designer, just a creative mm-hmm. problem solver. Mm-hmm. And um, if you if you know in any teams I've worked in where there are designers, developers, and product managers, um, I've tried to um, give the perspective of the product manager and encourage many people to hold that perspective mm-hmm. or rather not just the perspective of the product manager, but the perspective of someone that might have done all three roles if they were doing all three roles mm-hmm. at, at the same time, because it's a, a bit more of a wider, wider perspective or a mm-hmm. holistic view um, of the whole process. Right. Yeah. What, so, what doesn't, yeah. what doesn't tend to work out very well is when the product manager kicks something over to the designer and they sort of do their drawings on their own and then they throw it over to the developer without much, <laughs> without much feedback, yeah, exactly. without much, you know, communication. And then yeah. the developer kind of does their best to make, make it into a product. So, yeah, I think whenever those groups are working together, the, you know, the better. Um, so, so you were there for a while, uh, you went to, you were at Van Gogh for a bit and then you moved to, DMM and which is a, a UK climbing brand, right? Um, sort of similar, I would say, uh, with Petzl in the US, just as a reference point for those folks who aren't familiar with it. Yeah, that, that's right. How did that transition happen? What was the and yeah, what, Petzl and Black Diamond are probably our two. Yeah, and what was yeah. what was that transition like, and and how were those roles different from what you were doing at Van Gogh? Yeah, um, the transition. So I'd spent um, roughly five years at, at Van Gogh and um, everything that was produced for Van Gogh was produced in the Far East. And I guess I'd seen um, some of the social effects of that uh, in the Glasgow area as well. And when I saw DMM, I'd always been aware of DMM as a, as a climber. Um, they were a cool brand to... to um, you know, an aspirational brand to sort of want to go and work for. And the role that I'd seen advertised, um, I was actually on a waiting for a flight to go out to the Far East and I was flicking through um, a UK climbing website. Uh, they have some job adverts and things like that. And I'd seen the DMM job that was about four or five months old. And um, the role talked about wanting to produce more textile products in the UK. And that really... Um, hit home to me as a great thing to a great ambition and um, I sat there and dusted up my portfolio a little bit uh, sent it on to them and said hey um, you know your adverts 
yeah, I've just seen is four or five months old. Uh, you'd probably fill the role, but I thought I'd introduce myself anyway. And um, I got a response saying, hey, when you get back from the Far East, we'd love to meet you. And um, yeah, went down and met them. Great bunch of guys at DMM. I've been there six years now and really enjoyed working with them uh, so far. And it was, um, yeah, it was really exciting to see DMM, uh, a very different business model um, and, and set up. You know, Vango was very much a brand and uh, with a, a sort of differentiate quite a lot. I find myself differentiating with the people quite a lot, the difference between a brand and a manufacturer. Uh, most uh, outdoor brands are, you know, a brand with a design and a marketing and a sales office in a Western country with the manufacturing um, in the Far East as a generalization. Um, and lots of brands have their own manufacturing in the Far East and they might manufacture uh, in the West as well. Um, DMM has about 200 people in North Wales and over half of them are uh, manufacturing and all of the metal manufacturing is done in Wales and they wanted to do as much uh, or to bring some of the textile manufacturing uh, that was done in Europe back to the UK to bring that even closer to home and yeah so it's just cool to have an office that you know was um, right in the middle of uh, a full production suite of uh, capability from um, aluminium and steel forging CNC uh, assembly, for example, um, and then in the sewing department, all sorts of different uh, webbing, cutting, uh, auto sewing machines, and um, yeah, we've kind of built up the the development design office for the textiles. Employed a couple of uh, designers and developers, and um, brought that the textile design and, and production of an awful lot of harnesses uh, back to the UK, which was a really exciting process. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that was a super interesting, interesting process that, you know, we're seeing, it seems like we're, we're seeing more of that. There's, there's, and I think climbing, you know, black diamond for a long time did a lot of their manufacturing in salt Lake. And I think they, they still do a fair amount of their hardware. Um, so, you know, there's a quality control aspect to climbing, especially that, you know, having that manufacturing in house seems like that's a little bit of the DNA of those types of brands. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. So for you, you know, for each, either of those roles, you know, what was the first six months in that role? Like when you were first getting into product management, how, how was the transition for you? Um, stressful, I think is the first word that comes to mind. Um, certainly I remember the first six months of product management at Vango. Or, or certainly as a as, as a product manager rather than assistant product manager, um, just the amount of things, the amount of tasks, uh, the, the to-do list for a broad range of products is huge. And um, trying to sleep at night with this infinitely huge to-do list in your mind <laughs> was impossible, you know. And um, it was probably, um, you know, the introduction to Microsoft OneNote that, um, allowed me to sleep again properly for the first time because, <laughs> um, you know, you could just get everything. I just, I would say for the last 10 years, OneNote has performed the majority task that my my memory, not, not necessarily my brain, but my memory, you know, yeah. had performed previous to that. Just get it all in there. Yeah. 
format in some sort of way that you can reference it again and mm-hmm. and then and then kind of forget about it at the end of the day if you can you yeah it's 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 so funny that you mentioned that you know i think one of the things that it takes it took me a little while and i think it takes most product managers a little while to figure out is that there are not there simply are not enough hours in the day to get everything done that you need to get done if you work 80 hours in the week you still would never get it get it all done because you can't so prioritization is so critical to being successful i think as a product manager and mm. and, and for me i remember at Thule, uh i discovered something called bullet journaling which uh, if you, you know, you can go on YouTube and look at bullet journals, but that for me, that was my one note. It was, it was how to manage it in like a physical notebook. And I would would just, just having a method for, for tracking that stuff. Like you said, so you can just get it out of your brain and, and you're not thinking about it at night because it is, there are so many loose strings um, that you have to keep track of that you do need some sort of a system, right? That's, that's really important. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And one note, one, one note's definitely a good one for sure. It's one of them. There are, you know, several equivalents to that. And um, compared to 10 years ago, the, the amount of um, software apps you can use for project management, product management, um, you know, note taking, mm-hmm. to do list management is you know uh, exploded. So there's there's heaps of good options, and I'm probably not the most up to date with mm-hmm. uh, some of those applications. But um, but whatever your yeah, system is, you need, you need to find a good system. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. if you want to sleep at night, you need to write it all down, get it out of your head. <laughs> so what was the yeah. biggest surprise for you? You know, you were coming from more of a design background. What were you surprised by when you started the new role? Um, I hadn't understood during my three-year design course um, quite how relational and uh, quite how much travel was going to be involved in uh, sorting out the manufacturing, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, design was, was, um, the design course that I did was very practical and we spent most of our time in the workshop, you know, designing in 3d, making things, mm-hmm. uh, not, not 3d CAD, but, you know, um, modeling things and, you know, cutting and welding and turning and, mm-hmm. and, um, forming plastic. And it was a, a absolutely brilliant course. Um, and so we did spend all of our time thinking about how it was going to be made, but I really didn't necessarily, uh, appreciate that, um, quite how much, um, relationship would be involved with manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually been a huge portion of my enjoyment of the role is, mm-hmm. uh, being in relationship with, several different manufacturers. Um, I've really enjoyed traveling, uh, to, to go and find and meet and work with, you know, manufacturers. Um, and that's, you know, I love jumping in the car and driving 40 minutes to go and speak to the guy down the road that might do something for you. Mm-hmm. And that's brilliant. And then, uh, I have taken plenty of pleasure out of spending weeks and months in China uh, working with manufacturers over there and experiencing different cultures mm-hmm. and then everywhere in between as well. Europe was and is full of various different manufacturers. Um, you know, Turkey's a, a hub of um, clothing production, for example. Um, so yeah, there's, that's been the biggest surprise. Well, I think that was the biggest surprise for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, 
you know, I think it, and it really varies by category, but it almost, we're almost in a position in the U S of so much expertise is in the factories when it comes to lasting or, you know, last development and, and those types of things that so much of the expertise has moved to the factories that, you know, the brand, you certainly need to know the details of how a product is made, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of that that's now owned by the factories, you know, mm. they just have the experts on tooling and, and on a lot of those manufacturing techniques that you just have to depend on them for. Like you said, it really is a, a huge partnership in product development and, and production. So, yeah, absolutely. So what's your, you know, would you say that travel is your favorite part of being a product manager or what, what is your favorite part? Um, it's a good question. There's lots of good, lots of good parts of it. Uh, very few bad parts of it, I'd say. Um, in some ways, the cheesy answer is uh, talking to someone who you've solved a problem for, who appreciates what you've done. You know, and, and uh, by that I mean a customer or an end user of your products is mm-hmm. a very rewarding part of, of product management. Um, but yeah, I think I would I would say it's the relationships. It's for me, it's probably um, working with manufacturers and uh, creating a relationship with them that uh, builds their business and builds your business. You mm-hmm. know, they're they're in it to uh, feed their kids and mm-hmm. as, as, as much as anyone else. And if you can, as a as a developer or as a brand, uh, or you know, from a product management perspective, um, can conceive uh, a new category or a new thing that needs to be uh, made or brought out, and that they can help you resolve that and, and deliver that, um, and it's successful, then it's successful for both people, and that mm-hmm. there's a really strong bond uh, in in that relationship. I think they they trust you you know, to, they kind of believe in you and your passion for, for, for what you're working on. And, mm-hmm. um, they commit time and effort and not just because they're paid, but, you know, because they're excited about the project mm-hmm. and, and that just forms a really glo- great relationship, you know, and then you, you can get the most innovation and the most kind of, um, progress in a relationship like that. I think mm-hmm. where your material supplier is, you know, pushing the boundaries of what they would normally do because of the enthusiasm they have for the project they're working on with you. And then you, you, you achieve something that you, you couldn't necessarily achieve. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's talking from a kind of a design and technical perspective, I think, perhaps. But um, I, I would include that as my favorite part of product management as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so for you, uh, you know, you've worked on a lot of different projects, a lot of different types of product. Uh, what's been one of your favorites? Yeah, that's a hard question to answer. I've enjoyed a lot of them. Um, I would say the the project and the category that I've, I'm, I'm kind of still working on today um, has probably been the most rewarding for, um, across yeah, lots of different reasons. Uh, and, and that is um, uh, a project where we integrated uh, RFID tags into our height safety products at DMM uh, in order to allow them to be tracked and managed and inspected uh, a lot easier. And um, it seems to be the, the the product that and the solution that I've worked on that's solved the biggest problem, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've worked on cool harnesses and um, cool alpine 
packs and some cool tents and done lots of cool projects. Um, and, you know, they've solved problems to an extent. They've done things differently or better than other products. And a lot of people have shown uh, a lot of psych for some of those things. Um, but, yeah, I'd say um, the DMM ID uh, product category that I'm working on at the moment has solved the, the biggest problem for a, for a whole industry or for several different industries and, and therefore actually has the biggest opportunity for success as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is, it is fun sometimes to work on those projects that you're really, you know, for whatever reason, whether you're a climber or whether, you know, it's whatever the activity that you're super passionate about, but a lot of times, regardless of the category, it's like just solving a really hard problem right? can be really, really satisfying, especially if Absolutely. You're, you're kind of identifying that and, and, you know, and it's a challenging solution that just takes bringing a lot of different people together. It is, it's really, it's a really fun part of the process. Yeah. There's a, it's a technical challenge to, you know, to, to solve. Um, but there's also a kind of a, a market awareness, huge market awareness mm-hmm. challenge as well. And so it does really require not just the challenge of, uh, releasing a new product from a technical perspective, but getting that market fit as good as possible and as um, broad as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's been a really interesting challenge and very rewarding. Which, which for me, I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy about product management uh, is that you are the person that takes, you know, through that whole technical problem-solving product development piece, but then you actually have to help get it sold too, right? And the strategy to get it into the market and to do the promotion and how do you position it? Like there aren't that many people, there aren't that many roles that have that full visibility. So that to me is really fun. That's a really interesting and fun part of product management. Yeah, exactly. And I think that kind of extends on um, the holistic view I was trying to describe earlier is rather than just being siloed into being one really good at one thing, mm-hmm. you know, being the designer or the developer or the product manager, right. um, or, or even the sales team or the marketing team or the customer service team, quality team, whatever, wherever it is you work. Um, not everyone is necessarily into it, but I love being involved in all of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not being an expert at any one thing, right. but, um, but trying to pull it all together. Mm-hmm. And, and a really good and, generalist, right? Exactly. Yeah. Being a really good generalist. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've had a bunch of different PM jobs. You've worked at different companies. You've worked with a lot of different folks, some who have probably been successful and some who haven't. Uh, what do you think makes a great PM? What have you seen that are like common traits or common things that people do well that make them a good product manager? Um, I would say communication is probably the most succinct mm. Uh, skill or you know description of what you need to be a good product manager and or, or that I've enjoyed or you know appreciated from working with other product managers is mm-hmm. communication 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 it's just it's very broad it you know it's um, including sketching sketching and being part of the ideation process it's including conveying uh, opportunity and value to board members it's you know, um, communicating in terms of hearing, you know, listening, being a good listener to customers, to uh, criticism of the things that you're working on mm-hmm. uh, from the users and from internal, external people. Um, it's 
being very good at emailing, <laughs> you know, yeah, because right. you're, I would say, um, I don't, I, I wouldn't give it a proportion. I don't know, but as a, as a designer, you're trained on all of these different skills in terms of Adobe, you know, suites or CAD suites or whatever it is. Um, as a product manager, you, you could spend it a week easily just emailing the whole time. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, that sounds really terrible and boring and, <laughs> and very ad- administrative, but it's, it's, it's still a challenge to, um, to actually communicate what you've got in your head mm-hmm. uh, at, to somebody that doesn't speak English very well mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the time, that lives 6,000 miles away from you, and to, in a quite a short period of time, for them to understand you and to deliver something that's really high quality, uh, you know, and this come a long way from what it was a thought process literally 12 less than 12 months earlier. Well, and I think to your point, one of the things that makes that interesting is that you might be putting one email together that's to an executive team that needs to be really high level and detailed and with really solid strategy and, and logic. Right. And then you may be then communicating something to a factory, to a developer that just needs to be very succinct that needs to really clearly get the, get the problem uh, across and really just, you know, cut to the heart of what needs to be communicated and do it in a way that they're going to be able to take and, you know, and run with. And so I, I, that's a huge challenge and something that yeah is, is a really interesting part of, of the job. Yeah, sure. So any, you know, I don't know if, if you read much, any, <sighs> any books that you have read, you know, I don't know um, if there's any that stand out to you as being ones that you recommend to people or things that, you, you know, have helped you in your job. Yeah, I, I wish I had a really good answer for this. I don't know if I do. Um, I, I'm not a great reader, which is something I'm not particularly proud of. Um, <laughs> my, my, my wife laughed out loud when I read her that question. I have enjoyed reading Yvonne Chouinard's uh, books, both um, the classic, let my people go surfing. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic principle in terms mm-hmm. of business management. And um, I think companies do well to be, to be as true to that as they can be today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think DMM has actually been um, one of the last true kind of style hearts of, of that outdoor brand philosophy um, with the with the phrase climb now, work later coming pretty true i would say rather than work now work later which is often a product manager's philosophy or has to be at times um but the the responsible business as well was um a really good read and neither of them were necessarily product management targeted but Mm -hmm. but but more business philosophy targeted but as we've talked about product management spans a broad Mm -hmm. um a broad range of different kind of skills and thoughts and uh, business managements. Um, you know, if, if you are, um, I, was, I was looking at the startup sort of scene recently and mm-hmm. it's often product managers that start businesses. Yep. Um, and w- one of the challenges in that is when the product manager, ha- uh, the, the founder of a company has to hire their first product manager to take mm-hmm. on the, ro- the role that was really theirs at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think that that might be true, um, generally speaking, because product managers have that broader business mm-hmm. uh, thought processes. And, and so 
books around running a good business I found uh, just as interesting, if not more interesting than mm-hmm. focusing in on product management specific skill set. Yeah. And, and I, I totally agree. And there's a, a lot of books that I've read that are just more entrepreneurial sort of startup books, but they have so much to do with just developing a new product and bringing a product to market that they're really relevant for product management. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, let my people surf and, and that story reminded me of a, of a story from rip curl. And I don't know if you know this Katmandu purchased rip curl, Yeah, not not too long ago. So I was in New Zealand and the CEO of Rip Curl, you know, this was the first time we were getting to know them. It was like a manager's meeting. And, uh, and, and one of the guys that he was with said, no one ever got fired at Rip Curl from, from surfing, which apparently is, uh, you know, is like a common refrain at Rip Curl that it's like a really common thing. You know, they, they're in Australia, uh, right on the beach. And so surfing is a huge part of the culture. And the CEO, who is like the one person who doesn't surf at Rip Curl, said, that's right. Nobody ever got fired for surfing, but lots of people got fired for not doing their job, <laughs> <laughs> which was which was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think those guys do surf a fair amount, but I'm sure that the product managers especially are getting a lot of work done. So, yeah, uh, you know, I saw a great um, pie chart yesterday, just kind of you know, trying to think of something clever to say to you today. <laughs> and um, it said, one of them said, um, you know, what I thought was going to achieve the most. And it was a pie chart with a hundred percent of hard work. Mm-hmm. And then it was you know, what actually achieves the most. And it was divided up, you know, between hard work, um, exercise, eating well, mm-hmm. sleeping well, etc. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the greatest criticisms I think I took on uh, from my, um, friends at the during the course when I was studying product design was that I was always out rock climbing and you know <laughs> um, and didn't sort of um, spend those extra eight hours a day kind of working their way through YouTube trying to de- right. find design inspiration um, mm-hmm. and yeah you know the answers are outdoors they're not indoors so right. um, yep. you got to go find them as well you, you, you can't just bash it all out on excel right and if you're not passionate about getting outside then you're in the wrong industry right and and uh yeah so what do you wish you would have learned earlier in your career anything that that stands out where you're like man i've learned this this is really important but i wish it wouldn't have taken me 10 years Mm. i wish it would take me two years yeah it's a good question um i would say one of the struggles moving from non-safety critical product at Van Gogh mm-hmm. into safety critical at DMM was to be able to um, process negative thinking. Um, yeah. And it, which certainly that's what I perceive it to be. Um, really pessimistic, really cautious <laughs> mentalities. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Um, it wasn't until I listened to a really interesting podcast. I can't remember who who, who, uh, who ran it. Um, I might post it on my LinkedIn if anyone wants to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called The Power of Negative Thinking. Mm. And one of the first people they interviewed was a safety manager for uh, an offshore oil rig in the North Sea of Scotland. Uh, he had a fantastic, broad Scottish Aberdonian accent. And... <laughs> You know, he he was describing how um, his job was to think of the very worst things that could happen mm-hmm. and to plan and to plan for them. 
and I think it was a two-part podcast and it was basically saying there's nothing wrong with negative thinking as long as Mm -hmm. it leads to action Mm -hmm. and you know I think I don't know whether it's me or whether it's just what you learn as you grow up but um, often problems can present themselves and the first response can be to sort of close your eyes or look the other way and mm-hmm. to not address, not address it straight mm-hmm. away uh, or, or, or worse to dwell on the problem and to lose sleep over the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the challenge, whether it's business or, you know, a creative challenge to deliver a, a complex product or whatever it is. Um, but actually just the process of, um, you know, dwelling on the negative and then planning your way out of that mm-hmm. potential problem or the current problem um, and, and just being incredibly proactive in embracing negative thinking and, and, and doing something with it, you know. Um, I don't necessarily, I can't necessarily say, oh, you know, careers or products would have been different had I mm-hmm. learned that earlier, but um, I certainly found that was a, re- a revelation and it really, um, really helped me going forwards in designing height safety products where Mm-hmm. You you need to be. You don't you don't need to be. You really need to not be an optimist when you're designing high right. safety products. Well, you, yeah, yeah. So it's it's such a good point, and I think one of the things that I learned, you know, it took me a little while to learn, but I think it's really common for people that are new in product, whether it's design, development, product management, is that it's only a matter of time until a disaster hits. And then there will be another disaster soon after. And so you just have to accept that because if every problem that arises shakes you, then you'll have a tough time and you won't last very long. And I remember my first outdoor industry manager at the time, you know, we were working on some really challenging projects and, you know, we ran into some really, really, you know, big problems <laughs> where there's a lot of money at stake. There's important timelines at stake. And, you know, he was someone who never blamed anyone. It was just, let's figure out how to fix it. And mm-hmm. then let's move on. And what are our options? Let's get creative. And I think that word that you use proactive is so important because that negative thinking is, is if it, like you said, if it propels you to something, to action, to proactivity, which I think you have to be proactive to be a good product manager, then you sort of need to look, be looking around the curve, right? Looking around the corner to see what's coming a lot of times. And, and you can be better at that if you're looking for big, scary things around the corner and identifying those earlier rather than later and trying to just being the person who's figuring out how to solve them instead of, you know, running around just, with your hands in the air, I think is really, really important. So that was a great point, or, I think. Or, or burying your head in a bucket. You know, we're all good at, mm-hmm. at that. Um, you know, the the toughest job can be the one that gets procrastinated the longest, mm-hmm. you know. And um, there's a, a girl that I studied with called uh, Holly Howe, who now runs a fantastic jewelry business in Dunedin. And um, she'll laugh out loud if she ever hears this, but... Um, I don't think she would have described herself as super proactive um, when she was studying. And um, I just remember her printing off this, um, you know, A4 poster that just said, do it now. And she stuck it above the monitor of her computer for the next (laughs) couple of years of her course. And that image has stuck with me, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. 
yeah, that's certainly been a lesson for me on a fairly daily basis just to remember what Holly what Holly had to remind herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a nice visual always helps, right? Exactly. Yeah. So any advice, what you know, I'm sure you have people reach out to you. What advice would you give for people wanting to get into the industry, wanting to get into product management? Um, you know, what do you tell people? Yeah, it, you know, I think talking to you um, about product management today and on our previous call got me thinking more about um, product management as a category of, 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 of the industry um, more than I have. I've, I've been in it for 10 years now, which is a funny thing to, to look back on and to not necessarily recognize it as its own thing to train for and, mm-hmm. to, and to learn about. Um, and I think your outdoor PM school is a bit of an example of, um, you know, perhaps one of the earliest things or the first things I've seen for mm-hmm. specific training for PM school rather than just um, coming through the kind of classic design, say, marketing, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever it is you've studied at, at, at uni, for example, or not studied, and then you end up in a brand mm-hmm. and, and you just sort of learn it by experience um, and, you know, there's actually a lot of people that are really motivated in sight when they hear what product management is in, uh, in, involves and they're keen to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, yeah, there's a lot more resource available online now for, for, for what product management is. And I think people uh, can can be better sort of prepared or, or able to work out what the various skills are they need and and to, to be able to practice them, perhaps, or study them, you know, train um, to some extent in them. I think it's a great idea to, to come to a brand um, having having achieved a qualification or, or even just a recognition of the role of product management rather mm-hmm. than, um, you know, I was rather than to, let's say, you know, apply for a job as product manager having been a designer previously. Um, it, that's a transition you can make. I've made that transition. Um, but if you, if you want to really bring as much value as possible to a future brand that you want to work for, um, learning as much as you can about you know, product management. If you want to bring value in, in a product management role, then I would say learn as much as you can about the product management role. I mm-hmm. think the resources are there to learn it far more than they ever have been before. Well, listen, I, thanks for the time today. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I love talking with people with a New Zealand accent uh, whenever I can take advantage of that. So I, so I appreciate it. And uh, where is the best place for people to, to connect with you if they're interested in, in connecting? I think uh, LinkedIn's probably um, the safest bet. Maybe you can, um, yeah. So, you know, you, you can get my name off the podcast title or whatever and, and Definitely. chuck it into LinkedIn and uh, you should find me pretty easily there. Awesome. Well, cool. Like I said, thanks again. This has been a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to keeping in touch. Great. Thanks, mate. Thanks for your time. This episode is brought to you by OutdoorPMSchool.com, an eight-week online course designed for aspiring outdoor industry product managers. Check out OutdoorPMSchool.com to learn more about who we are and how we can help.